And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And this is the word of the Lord. All right, again, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Just back from San Diego, Gracie and I flew in uh, last night, and Michelle and the boys are still down there. It was interesting as we're down there listening to people complain how hot it was, like 84 degrees. You know, my sister-in-law's in the house, you know, with the windows open, just going, it is so hot. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, we were just talking hot is a relative term uh, these days. But anyway, it's good to be uh, good to be back here. Well, it was good to be gone for a few days during the hot weather. It was kind of a working time down there, a conference for Michelle. But it's good to be back. Good to be with you. My wife and kids will be back today. We did get away for one night. Uh, Michelle and I, our sisters, lives down there, so we left the kids there, and our 25th anniversary is on Tuesday, so we kind of celebrated that uh, one night away in San Diego. It was really nice. Anyway, good to be home and ready to get into God's Word and, and hear from Him today. Uh, most of us here today know of people who have turned away from Christ, who have turned away from His church, because of those who follow Christ. Most of us here, we know of people who have turned away from Christ, who have turned away from his church because of Christ's followers. Any of you know people? I know people like that. This is particularly painful when we recognize or learn about someone who has looked really upright, who has looked really godly, who has lived a certain way, and then all of a sudden something comes out that has been hidden, something that has been secret, a sin. And for some people, this just kind of takes them down. This takes them out. It is, it is brutal. It is overwhelming. And some leave the church and leave even following the Lord. Brendan Manning writes this. He says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. From a similar perspective, Dallas Willard writes this. He says, The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians, will become disciples. 
students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. In essence, what both of them are saying is the greatest problem that we have are Christ followers not following Christ. Now, I get what they're saying, and the consequences are strong and are real when we don't follow Christ. But I want to let us see this morning from God's Word another perspective. I want us to see, we're going to see in today's passage, the perspective, not not what was just on the screen, but we are going to see the perspective that in spite of Christ's followers not following Christ well, even when they are at their worst, the power of the gospel and the power of Christ is sufficient for us to continue following him. That's what we're going to see in God's word today in the passage that was just read. So let's turn our attention there. And we are in Mark chapter Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin today at verses 46 and 47. Let me uh, pick it up there and read Mark 10 and verses 46 and 47. It says, then they came to Jericho and as Jesus and his disciples, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now we're going to get in just a moment to those followers of Christ who are not following him rightly, but let's let's stop here for a moment on these first couple verses. Uh, We have this, this blind beggar, Bartimaeus. I might just call him Bart this morning. Bart, on the side of the road, a place where he has been for a long time. I think if you lived in Jericho, you would have been accustomed to walking by this blind beggar. And what Mark is wanting us to see in this passage, and I'm going to go back a little bit for those of you that weren't here the last few weeks with this vacation season, go back a couple passages. What he's wanting us to see here is that Bartimaeus is crying out for something that the followers of Christ are not crying out for. Bartimaeus is crying out for something that the religious leaders are not looking for. He is crying out for mercy. That's the word I've got circled in this first paragraph. Have mercy on me. And what Mark, the author of the gospel, is wanting us to see, he's wanting us to see a contrast between Bartimaeus and those other followers of Christ who are not seeking the right things. Those of you that were here last week, we saw James and John. And what, are, what were they seeking? Those of you that were here last week, what were they after? Status. You know, Jesus has been teaching them over and over and over about the gospel and about how is it important to serve? And what is their question? Lord, just do one thing for us that we want a blank check. The one thing we want, one of us on your right and one of us on your left. We want status. We want glory. And then the week before that, we saw the young, the rich young man. He, like James and John, morally outstanding, leader, highly ethical person. 
And what do we see of this highly ethical religious person? What do we see? We see that his real God is not the God of the Bible, not the creator, but his real God is his stuff, his possessions. So he's seeking some way of salvation where I can continue to have my stuff and my possessions and my wealth as my God. And James and John are seeking, are seeking status. And now we come to a blind beggar. And what he is seeking is mercy. And God's word is shouting out to us this morning because you and I might not feel like we need mercy. It is very natural for us to want status. It is very natural for us to want wealth and stuff. But it is not natural for us to recognize that we need God's undeserved kindness, His mercy in our lives. And this is what Mark, the gospel writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is wanting us to see what are we to seek from Jesus. Now, forgiveness and mercy are are, are very related. There's kind of an overlappingness to forgiveness and mercy. And this is what Bart is seeking. He's seeking mercy. And you and I, we also desperately need mercy. We need the kindness of God. We need the forgiveness of God in our lives if we are going to experience peace and wholeness and shalom. So I'll tell you a story back when I was in fourth or fifth grade. Um, I, I wasn't a mountain biker. I wasn't a BMX person or anything then. We just used our bikes as transportation. You remember those days? Some of you, your bikes were just like, that's how you did everything. That's, that's where you went. It's like, mom, can we go? Like, can I get this stuff? And then I just go with my friends. And we went to all kinds of different places in our, in our neighborhood. In fourth and fifth grade, just gone. I remember this one particular day, we were on our bikes, three or four friends, and we drove to our, we drove, we rode our bikes to our elementary school. We rode our bikes to our elementary school, nobody around, and we're just playing on our elementary school campus. And our gym had these windows up high on the wall. They were just there to bring light in. They were those like small square windows that light came through, but you couldn't see in and out, and they were just up real high. And these windows were real strong. So you could throw, for example, basketballs or volleyballs at them, and they didn't break, for example. But here we are outside the gym, nobody around, and we realize that if you throw small rocks, small rocks at these windows, they made this really cool kind of dinging noise, really dinging noise. I shouldn't share this story with my daughter here. Don't do anything like this, okay? So we're, we're throwing these small rocks at these windows and hearing this, this dinging noise going off. And, and, you know, boys, we're fools and we're disobedient and we're a whole bunch of things. So you want to kind of get a little bit bigger rocks. And that noise gets a little bit louder. And so I pick up a little bigger rock and, you know, fourth or fifth grader, I throw this thing up there and I break the window. Break the window. And we hop on our bikes and we take off. Next day at school, there's a broken window there. Man, I feel bad. I felt terrible. It's like that window was was like this spotlight to my heart. Nobody knew. Nobody found out. It, It was just like this 
misery. Like I, f- I just felt terrible for breaking that window. And I also was afraid I was going to get in trouble. Right. So that, that there's both sides going on here. Like I don't want anyone to know. And yet I just felt miserable. What I needed, what I needed was God's mercy. What I needed was forgiveness. What I needed to have done was the gospel applied. I needed to repent. I needed to get in trouble and, and, and confess what had happened. But I also needed the gospel applied to that situation. But, I, you know, my mom, my mom is such an awesome lady, but I, I, I didn't live in a gospel home. I didn't know the gospel. Man, I just felt terrible. I didn't know how to deal with this. Yuck. This This guilt wasn't until I was a senior in high school that I came to know the gospel, came to know Christ and able to understand it's not about performance. It's not about merit. It's not about all this stuff. It is about the mercy of God. We have feelings about things that we need, but our friend Bart here is showing us what we really need is the mercy of Jesus in our lives. If we want to be healthy and whole, mercy triumphs over the self-righteous. Mercy triumphs over the self-righteous. And the self-righteous here, in a sense, are James and John and the rich young, uh, the rich uh, young man. I've been reading this book, uh, You Are What You Love, by James K.A. Smith, and he says, the practice of confession is a crucial discipline for reforming our loves. One of the reasons that we do confession as part of our service each week is to train us to habituate ourselves, to discipline ourselves, to go before the Lord and to confess our sins so that we don't live with this yucky feeling that we actually receive the mercy of God in our lives. The practice of confession is a crucial discipline for reforming our loves. It's something we need to do a lot more than just on Sunday morning. It's something that I needed to do as a little boy. When I, threw that, when I threw that rock, I needed to have been taught that Jesus will forgive you for that and you can actually raise your chin at school the next day and you also, by the way, need to, need to tell what, what had happened. Bartimaeus is an example for us in this chapter. The same author, James uh, K.A. Smith, he goes on, he says, the Christian practice of confession is not a groveling mire of worm theology. This is is one of the weaknesses of, uh, we do confession each week, and one of the things that we can unintentionally communicate is that we're just all a bunch of miserable people. We just need to confess all the time, and it's just terrible. That's that's not what confession is about. Um, It's not a kind of spiritual masochism, because there is never a moment of confession that isn't immediately met with the announcement of the good news of forgiveness and absolution. The good news of forgiveness is its own countercultural practice that pushes back on the hopelessness and despair of a consumer gospel that can only offer goods and services, not true peace. Jesus Christ, who our friend Bart is seeking, can bring real peace and real forgiveness and real wholeness to his life. The things that we naturally seek out, that James and John have been seeking out status, that the the rich young man has been seeking out wealth and and actually has, are not going to bring peace. They're not going to bring bring contentment. They are not going to bring joy into our life. Well, all of this is kind of a a sidebar on on the importance of confession and mercy. But the heart of, of today's sermon and the heart of today's passage 
comes and what, what comes next. So in verses 46 and 47, we see that mercy triumphs over the self-righteous. Bartimaeus, though he's blind, he sees what the religious, the rich young man, James and John, what they cannot see. They, he sees that mercy triumphs over everything. This is what he actually needs from Jesus. So let, let's move on now to the next few verses, verses 48 and 49. So he's cried out to Jesus, and here's, here's where Christ's followers are not following Christ. Verse 48, many rebuked him. So the disciples, the followers of Christ, the crowd there that's been following Christ, many rebuke Bart. And they tell him to be quiet. But look at his response. I love this. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So here I'm taking a different angle than these men have identified, with all due respect for them, the guys that I put on the screen at the very beginning are saying our very worst problem is Christians who are not following Christ in a godly way. That's a serious problem. I'm, I'm, I'm with them to a degree, but I want to say something above and beyond what they're saying, that even when the apostles are rebuking the man who actually is longing for mercy from Jesus, the one thing that we should be longing for, and they rebuke him, that God's powerful enough, that the gospel is powerful enough to reach that person in spite of Christ's followers who fail him. Do you see that in this passage? What I'm saying is that Jesus triumphs over his clueless followers. Both in Mark's gospel and in our lives, in the lives of our church and the lives of other churches, there are a lot of clueless followers, and Jesus triumphs over them. In fact, we have a whole history. We're going to have a short sermon today, but I could spend a lot of time. There is no shortness of examples of followers of Christ who are not following Christ. That is, those who profess faith in Jesus who are not following him. I'll give you just a couple examples this morning, tragic examples one from history. This is from the early 1800s. Um, I, I'd never heard of this guy before this week. He was a pastor in Virginia, Thornton Stringfellow. He, along with many others, wrote a book that had wide circulation in that day entitled Cotton is King and Pro-Slavery Arguments. I'm going to give you a glimpse of, of what uh, he wrote uh, in that book. He says, I affirm then first, and no man denies, that Jesus Christ has not abolished slavery by a prohibit prohibitory command. And second, I affirm, he has introduced no new moral principle which can work its destruction under the gospel dispensation, and that the principle relied on for this purpose is a fundamental principle of the Mosaic law, under which slavery was instituted by Jehovah himself. And third, with this absence of of positive prohibition and this absence of principle to work its ruin. He's talking about slavery. I affirm that in all the Roman provinces where churches were planted by the apostles, hereditary slavery existed as it did among the Jews and as it does now among us, us being rich, white, American Christians, which admits of proof 
from history that no man will dispute who knows anything of the matter, and that in instructing such churches, the Holy Ghost by the apostles has recognized the institution as one legally existing among them to be perpetuated in the church and that its duties are prescribed. This is a common position in churches like ours in the 1800s. It, it, it birthed denominations, this position. Most every Protestant denomination split over this issue. And leaders, followers of Christ, are using the Scriptures to, to try and say that God's will is to perpetuate slavery, where the reality is he's trying to deal with cultures that have slavery. And so, yes, he gave some indications about how to operate in this wicked situation, but by no means is he perpetuated. So why am I bringing this up today? I'm bringing this up today because through this time period, African-Americans, the church, growing, thriving Awakening, so many beautiful hymns were written by African-American followers of Christ in spite of Christ's followers not following him. I want to, to speak hope about the gospel and about the power of the word of God, even when his followers are not teaching it properly, even when his followers are not living it properly, even when his followers are trying to rebuke the very thing that Jesus was trying, has just taught them not to do. So back to our text, verse 48. Uh, Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. If we flip back to verse 14 of the same chapter, Jesus there said, uh, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus is making, has already just made the point that the kingdom of God is not just for the elite, it is not just for the well-connected, but it is especially for those in society who are marginalized, who are desperate, like children, like Bart, who's been begging on the side of the road. This is who the gospel is for. They haven't gotten this message and they're trying to rebuke the very one that is a model of what God is looking for you and I to do to seek mercy from Christ. What I'm saying, church, is that Jesus triumphs over his clueless followers. I'm going to give you one. Can you, can you handle one more clueless example follower? Is this too discouraging? I hope it's not. This one is worse. Where We're kind of going and, well, I don't know. It's not worse. These are all terrible. You guys know this? You know who this guy is? So, yeah, a few of you do. I can tell by the response. So just I'm going to be brief here. This guy is a, quote, pastor from Topeka, Kansas. And for those of you who don't know uh, who he is, he actually just died recently. And I'll withhold any comments on that. But he, um, he, his ministry was marked by protesting against homosexuality and against divorce and against abortion at soldiers' funerals, those coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. So he chose to go and protest when parents and children are at their very lowest grieving the death of their soldier fathers. 
And so he goes, and the, I, most of the pictures I could find were, were not really even appropriate to put up here this morning, the things that were on his signs. He's fine with using vulgar language. So he would protest, and he did this even at Arlington, and, and very sacred grounds as, as far as our country goes. Just despicable, terrible things. He, he, he did this, and, and so it, it was such a nuisance for grieving families that they uh, tried to work this through the courts. And our First Amendment and right of freedom of speech, uh, he won his cases, and, and he was allowed to protest uh, these things. This is a photo of him outside a courthouse of one of the families that was trying to get him to stop, which they were unsuccessful. This is a follower, a professed follower of Christ who is not, following Christ. This is what one person said about him. This, the level of his vitriol, the savageness of his comments were just unmatched anywhere. This is a supposed pastor. So again, I'm not trying to discourage us today. This is a message of hope with our friend Bartimaeus. And the message is that in spite of Christ's followers, doing something as terrible as what this guy did, the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus is sufficient for people to find mercy in spite of his flailing or even false followers. Is that good news? Are you with me, church? I think it's good news. It's very good news. We, we don't want to emphasize too much those who are following Christ and bringing shame to his name, we want to emphasize that the power of the gospel and the grace of God is sufficient to help us find mercy in spite of his followers. Jesus triumphs over his clueless followers. Last couple verses here, and we're going to finish up short sermon today. Back to our text. So Jesus stops and says to Bartimaeus, call him in spite of the disciples trying to stop this. So continuing on in verse 49, so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. So that they've got, they're quick to repent here. You know, they're, they're stopping him. Now they're like commanding him to, hey, get over here. He's calling you. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. So beautiful picture here. Again, for those of you that haven't been here in recent weeks, Verse 50, just as I had mercy circled in that first paragraph, I've got cloak circled here in verse 50. Throwing his cloak aside, Mark is wanting us to see the contrast between the rich young man and this guy. The rich young man is not willing to give away his things to the poor to help them, but this man who has nothing other than probably his cloak that would cover him from the elements, he just throws that aside. Jesus is worthy of surrendering anything and everything that is necessary in order to follow him. And we see this in our friend Bartimaeus, a massive contrast to those in the last previous weeks. So he throws his cloak aside. He jumps to his feet. He comes to Jesus. Verse 51, as, as is his custom, Jesus has a question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind, the blind man said, Rabbi or Rabboni, I want to see. I want to see is how the NIV translates it. And again, Mark is wanting us to see the contrast, even in the terminology that's used in addressing Jesus. 
James and John refer to him as teacher or as good teacher, the rich young man, as good teacher. Here we have rabbi. Even in the way he addresses him, it is a different address. He has a different level of understanding of who this person is. He is the one I get mercy from. Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Your faith has healed you is the way the NIV renders it. I think you were reading from the ESV earlier, Robert, were you? It says you were made, made well which is another good way to translate the Greek verb here is the verb sozo, which has a connotation both of physical healing and spiritual healing. Both of these things are present in, in, in this verb that, that's translated, he, uh, your faith has, has healed you. Uh, one commentator writes this, this word reflects the Jewish understanding of the tight link between salvation and physical wholeness. These concepts are going together. My physical well-being and my salvation, my spirituality in Christ. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. He just, he just throws, there's no issue of surrender here. Christ is so beautiful and so glorious that he's not hindered in surrendering anything, just leaving his cloak behind to follow Jesus. This is how beautiful, this is how glorious Christ is. So surrender triumphs over selfishness. We see selfishness in James and John wanting status. We see selfishness in the rich young ruler wanting all of this stuff and the kingdom. You can't have both. You can only have one God. You shall have no other gods before you. The Lord church is wanting us to see through Bartimaeus that even though he's blind, he actually sees what the knowledgeable, what the religious leaders cannot. And the message to you and I today is that the gospel and the beauty and glory of Christ is, is not only knowable, but by faith, we too can be made whole and have peace, both in body and in soul. This is how good our God is. This, this is how gracious he is. And he's looking for us to long for him and for mercy. Let's bow our heads and pray. Ask him to give us right longings. Father in heaven, it comes so naturally for us to want status, to want the praise of man, to want wealth and riches. It does not come so naturally to want mercy. Lord, we have sometimes in our minds crazy pathways where we think we're going to find peace and happiness. But our friend Bartimaeus has shown us that happiness and wholeness and peace and forgiveness and healing comes through knowing Christ. Lord, I pray today, no matter where we are, no matter what we've been going through in recent days, that by your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be longing for your mercy and that we, like Bartimaeus, would be able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And just be willing to leave behind anything we need to leave behind in order to follow you. We're thankful for the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.